Come and dream with me. Hello and welcome to What Do You Want to Watch? The Explosion Network's premier media podcast. Every fortnight we get together to talk about movies, TV and online content and help you answer the question, when are we getting cast in Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer? Because it seems like everybody is getting cast in that movie. I'm your host, Ashley Hobley. Joining me today, Dylan Blight. We'll probably have to join the Actors Guild or pay our dues, I reckon. Whereas we can't legally be cast, Ash. That's true, (laughs) I guess. Serious answer to your question. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as we get that SAG card. um, Yeah. Yeah, just need to cover all ground, you know. Just have to fix it up before, you know, filming starts. I think it's about 500 bucks a year. I don't know if we'd, we'd, we'd get that many acting <laughs> this this hard, weird hypothetical is like <laughs> it's rolling out of control but yeah i looked at uh, at the wikipedia there is currently 36 actors listed attached to oppenheimer which is crazy <laughs> don't even know what an oppenheimer is you know he's the guy who like invented the atom bomb don't you know about this christopher nolan movie no I, just... don't, I don't i'm 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 leaving okay i mean the big meme would be you'd definitely get cast, and I would not because I'm a person of color. So <laughs> that's that's Rip. the meme going around at the moment. I mean, is there uh, any is there any white people in it? Or? There's only white people in it, which yeah. I mean, well, I only a white, I, I a white person I, would I get the atom bomb. So. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I don't want to be involved, you know, unless there's like a one person who's like, no, we should stop doing this. We don't know what road this is going down. That can no, be I a person of color. Yeah. <laughs> On today's episode of What Do We Want to Watch, we'll be discussing watching our watch history. We'll be giving our Academy Award predictions, a little bit of news, giving some thumbs to trailers and talking about this week's top three. Uh, we'll kick things off with a movie that we've already got a spoiler cast out for on the What Do You Want to Watch podcast feed, the latest Pixar movie, Turning Red, uh, which follows a young girl, uh, 13-year-old who loves boy bands, loves uh, is kind of caught between her mother and her friends, uh, and is cursed to turn into a panda whenever she feels a red panda. Sorry, whenever she feels high levels of emotions. Uh, Dylan, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on Turning Red? Uh, yeah, it's definitely my favorite Pixar one in a few years. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, really great animation, inspired by um, anime. Um, Jeff, it's not like full anime, obviously, but there's like um, a lot of inspirations there. I think the characters are fantastic, having this sort of girly cast who are you know seeing him in a way that you usually wouldn't see girls portrayed in a kids animated movie i think is um really really great and then um yeah it hits in the fields by the end and you have this the way it ends is you get a sort of it turns into a movie you may not expect it to be for about 10 15 minutes there which is pretty funny and um yeah really really good so um i gave it a eight on track all right uh i really enjoyed it as well i think yeah like it's very fun it's a cool family movie um lots of you know definitely a different side of girls that i guess a lot of young kids don't see or like i was willing to accept uh like it's been interesting to see the reaction to this movie more than anything else and it's like girls aren't cringy like that and like all these girls coming like yes we were you're cringy this entire time writing fan fiction and drawing obsessing about boys and shit like that so yeah that's quite been quite interesting Fifty shades of gray was fan fiction for twilight yeah <laughs> girls write fan fiction it's it there. Is crazy <laughs> it exists it happens um 
But yeah, really beautiful, like really cool anime elements added in, whether it's like people having starry eyes or like turning red, like their face turning red when they when they get angry. Uh, and then, you know, the, the panda, uh, panda of it all is like super cute and like fluffy, so fluffy. Um, it's like beautifully animated by Pixar, you know, taking their Monsters Inc. fur to another level. Um, yeah, super enjoyable. It's like, uh, it's interesting also to see, uh, some parents complain about the movie because it, it raises questions for their kids about like what are periods and stuff like that. Like, have you seen some of the, the, yeah, some parents are like, no, you shouldn't watch this movie one because again, it brings up periods and like that time of the month and that kind of stuff in the movie. And then also you shouldn't watch it because, uh, the child disobeys their parents. And that's not a message that we want to send to our kids. <laughs> Don't children disobey their parents in, like... Every movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, every, like, kid's movie. <laughs> Especially, like, think about all the 80s movies. It was literally just kids disobeying their parents and going off on adventures. And Yeah, no, yeah this is a fun, it's a quite amusing Facebook post. A, ma- a mother, like, pointing out all the bad things <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> Karen's. Yeah, good time. So yeah, check out check out Tony Grad on Disney Plus, and then check out our spoiler cast uh, over on this podcast feed. Uh, Dylan, you've got a few reviews up. Uh, talk to us about the Disney Plus documentary, More Than Robots. More Than Robots is a Disney Plus um, documentary uh, about a thing I didn't know anything about, which is always good to go to. Uh, sometimes you go to documentaries and you're like, I know something about this, but other times like this, I'm like, I don't know fucking clue what this is about. Uh, but it's about, uh, I can't remember the full name, but it's like First Robotic something or other. Um, it's like a, um, it's like put together by the dude who like uh, invented the Segway, I think is what he's like claimed to, like his biggest sort of invention was, I guess, was the Segway. Um, and it puts on this uh, it started small. I think the insulin like, pump was probably the bigger one. Is that what else he's done? Yeah, okay, I think so. Insulin pump. There you go. For some reason, the segue is the thing that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, one is anyways. a thing that like helps lots of people stay alive. The other one, yeah. uh, uh, an outdated form of transport that yeah, nobody. No, really no that, that's, is that's a, fair. A insulin, it, it, insulin pump probably, but for, for some reason, my brain's like segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> grab onto that information for some reason. Uh, yeah, so he, like, invents this robotics competition. Well, it's less a competition. The, the movie does, like, a good job uh, explaining that, although these people are, I think they call it, like, cooperative competition or some weird wording where they're trying to make sure that it's, like, it's about learning and um, learning off one another and although people do win, like, it's not all about that. But, um, yeah, it has all these, like, kids from uh, around the world in different schools and um, the extracurricular activities, I guess, like, building robots and it started out small years ago when they first did it and that sort of turned into this really big event where at the they'll do a bunch of like you know normal rounds where eventually it gets down to the final couple teams and they do like a massive uh, big finale and they like they show footage of um of it in it uh where it's like will i am's playing there and all this sort of stuff so it's like a full-on like crazed uh, event with all these people attending to watch the the robots um in this one, it follows four teams. There's two American teams, one team from Japan, and one team from Mexico. I would say the one, I can't remember the name off the top of my head here, but I do mention it in the review. Um, there's one team from America who sort of, I feel like was the lead team because they're 
um, sort of build as the underdog team. They're from a school that doesn't have much funding. Uh, they've got like the, they don't even have a proper room to, to build stuff. They're doing it in like the school's hallway or something like that. Um, I'd say they're sort of the lead, but uh, the movie, it does cover some other interesting things, including like a bunch of the, um, the girls in Japan. I would say the kids, I, I don't get a proper age, but I would say the kids, would be around 16. If I had to guess, I would say somewhere, you know, 14 to 16, maybe there's like, like different age groups in there, but that's sort of what the, the age I would guess, um, could be wrong, but, um, but yeah, one of the girls in, some of the girls in Japan, they do a bit where they're talking about, you know, they didn't realize they could like get into this sort of stuff, like, uh, um, like STEM in general, um, and how they, they hope that the, them doing it in the movie in general sort of puts an eye on, um, girls in STEM sort of, would be a good angle to take but yeah it's just really interesting i would say that the movie sort of falls apart kind of at the end the last 20 minutes because of covid so it's not really the movie's fault it's just covid's fault where you follow that whole movie you're tracking these teams the whole idea is of course they're talking about you know trying to reach this the the finals of this competition and then covid happens the finals are cancelled they never come back. <laughs> you know, this was filmed uh, like 2019 to early 2020 when the, the competition was starting up. And then, of course, COVID was starting. Mm. Um, and then you can tell like straight away, it's like they're now getting footage for the documentary from people on Sky, um, from Zoom calls and, you know, like all this sort of stuff. It does have a bittersweet message where it, it covers what the kids are doing in their spare time and how some of them are now building robots to help people, um, be that like taking food to their cars or like doing a lot of other weird jobs, like and how they were using their skills during the COVID time. So it is like a, a sweet ending, but it, yeah, just sort of like you, you are watching like, 70% of a movie like who's gonna get there to the finale and you never know so it's sort of like you can't blame the movie but it's like disappointing of course um and then the other thing I think's worth mentioning is it was directed by Gillian Jacobs uh her yeah. first feature um of any sort uh which was she's got she's directing a uh non non-fiction sorry fiction feature upcoming as well but this was her first feature uh straight up which was if you don't know who she is she's the most prominent from a uh, community I guess yeah and then uh, she was in that the uh Judd Apatow series Love that was on Netflix. Yeah. Yep. So she directed it. Shout yeah. out. Yeah, I watched it as well. It was quite enjoyable and interesting. Obviously all these kids have a like a passion for this robotics program. It's like uh it's cool like seeing this program like the actual like championships or whatever, like it's like when I think robot competitions, I think like battle bots. <laughs> And stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, I should I should have is, mentioned they're not actually fighting. It's um, no, they're like they've like got different sport. tasks that they need to yeah. to do, um, which is cool. And I like seeing the different teams tackle it in different ways, uh, given their resources and that kind of stuff is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, like you said, like it kind of doesn't have a satisfying ending because COVID hit. And I feel yeah. like there's a couple of documentaries I've seen in the last couple of years that is like it's like. The, the big one that came to mind was like Last Chance U basketball, where they're building up this entire season of the basketball, leading up to the playoffs or whatever, and then COVID hits and it's all cancelled. Um, so yeah, it makes me wonder if they sat on it because like obviously it's twenty twenty two, yeah, yeah, and now they just release it now. So yeah, uh, but yeah, some of the kids are really cool, interesting, and like have interesting perspectives and that kind of stuff uh so yeah i found it quite enjoyable so you can check that out on disney plus uh now we've got a couple of shutter reviews as well 
uh, talk to us about the seed. Uh, the seed is uh, about these three girls who are like on a weekend getaway, I guess. Uh, it's out in like the desert in Texas or somewhere. I think it's where it is. Um, and they're like at a B and B or whatever. And the, it, they're really, it's a really weird relationship from the outset because the main girl, you've got like two blondes and a, a brown-haired girl, and the two blondes are like sort of the more influencer. Like, yeah, let's, like, take pics in their bikinis all weekend sort of types, especially the one girl who's, like, a heavy, like, nearly written over-the-top influencer. But it's on purpose, like, like playing up the, the thing. Like, she's talking, like, she's live-streaming to her followers all the, like, and all this sort of shit. Um, and then the third girl, which is really weird, she's she's like, oh, I've, I, don't, I don't use social media. I have a flip phone. Like, I, you know, like, it's, like, the complete opposite to the point that you're like, how are these people even friends? But <laughs> and they never explain it. I guess it's it's just it's weird. But the they're, like, hanging around or whatever, chilling and talking for the first bit. And it is, like, semi-enjoyable because the dialogue is sort of also over the top and all of the girls, like, sort of commit to their ridiculous characters that it is enjoyable for what it is. But then, boom, it's that night. I think it's their first night. And then, boom, like, a meteor crashes in their pool. And uh, out crawls a, um, or out they find a, a little mole rat, fucked up mole rat looking thing. So an alien from the sky. Um, and without spoiling what happens after that, they, uh, they, they don't know what to do with it first. But yeah, the rest of the movie sort of what happens when this, and how they deal with this, this alien, uh, gets into some weird territory by the end of the movie. But, um, my main complaint was that I feel like the first three quarters was very tongue in cheek the movie wasn't taking itself at all very seriously and it was sort of fun for that. And then in the last act where, you know, shit starts to happen, all of a sudden the movie just felt like it switched gears and it was like, oh, we're like super serious, like alien movie now. Um, just felt a little bit weird, like a, a tonal shift. So that was sort of my main complaint. I really like the look of the creature, like it's an actual puppet or whatever. So I can always appreciate that. But um, yeah, I can't remember what I gave it, like a six or something. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's okay. Uh, I'd say it's it's okay on our scale. Yeah. All right. Uh, tell us about the bunker game. I didn't really like this one. Uh, so the, it has a good premise uh, for the first 10, 15 minutes. I was enjoying it, and then I pretty much like zoned out pretty quickly as the movie progressed. Where I was like, you know, I, I kind of got bored to be honest. But the the premise is the movie starts. And you've got all these people and they're in like a, a, of course, abandoned, you know, it's set, it's set now. So it's like a Nazi bunk, bunker and they're doing a, a role play down there. So um, they've got, you know, people acting out as the, the storyline they're acting out is that America like bombed Germany. Um, they went to hiding in this bunker and then, you know, the surface is too, you know, nuclear or whatever like they can't go to the surface so and then you've got some characters that you're introduced to like characters playing characters in this role play uh in the the first 10 15 minutes where they're like you got the super like still nazi commander dude and you've got some of the people who are like trying to fight against the regime from inside i'm like this is all very cool and i thought the movie was going to be you know people start getting killed like while they're doing a role play so you like who's in you know, like, I was like, that's cool. I, I'm, I'm down for this, you know, sort of jumping out of the shadows, who's who, 
Are they playing character who's not playing, you know, like what's going on here? But no, there's an accident and then like nearly everyone's kicked out. Well, everyone leaves the bunker, all the, uh, the main people. And then you're left with like, I think it's five or six, which are the, the leaders or whatever they're called, um, are left there. And they're trying to find the head game master dude who's disappeared. And, you know, then some ghost shit starts happening basically or like spooky things. Um, it's not, uh, from that point, I kind of was like, whatever. None of the characters grabbed me or interesting. There's a weird, like, love triangle thing set up for some reason I didn't think needed to be in it at all. It's shot all right. It's got, like, an interesting use of the location. But, yeah, I thought the, the movie I had in my head was a lot more interesting than what I ended up watching. I think I gave it, like, a 3.5. 3.5, yeah. All right. Uh... Okay, uh, so I checked out the new series that's dropped on Binge, Winning Time, which is the uh, story about the rise of the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, mainly focused around the uh, selection and rise, like early career of uh, Magic Johnson, at least, uh, start off with. Uh, it does kick off with, obviously, the team being bought by Cherry Bus, uh, played by uh, John C. Riley, who's like a... It's like a property guy, self-made millionaire who decides he really loves basketball. He's going to buy the Los Angeles Lakers um, and is kind of <laughs> scrounging up every last penny that he has to try and get this deal through in the first episode and that kind of stuff. Also, while trying to woo, you know, Magic Johnson, arguably the best player in the upcoming draft to come to uh, Los Angeles. Um yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's got a really fun dynamic. It's it does have that um uh like vice or no. Um it's of Adam McKay is one of the producers. So it's got that yeah. um what was his speaking first? to the camera? Like, yeah, speaking to the camera thing. Uh with a lot of the characters. Breaking, like, fourth, yeah. a lot of fourth ball breaking elements to it uh throughout the first two episodes and that kind of stuff, but I find it really enjoyable. I think, you know, the... But like they, the big short, I guess, is the most very, Yeah, the big short. That's the movie that I was trying to think of that I could not think of. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. It is, like, two episodes in. They have not had a proper official game of basketball yet. <laughs> so, you know, it's all the off-field, kind of behind-the-scenes stuff they've focused on so far. Um, but, yeah, a lot of interesting characters. I think um, Quincy... Quincy Isaiah, who plays Magic Johnson, he's quite uh, interesting. Uh, he's he's really good. Uh, John C. Ryle is fantastic. Um, they've also got Jason Clark playing Jerry West, the uh, coach of the Lakers. Um, lots of lots of different people throughout the the series. Um, like they just had uh, Michael Chiklis, who would, people would know from the Shield, show up as like the owner of the Boston Celtics, who were obviously the big rivals of the Lakers and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Quite interesting. Uh, Only two episodes in so far, so I'm quite enjoying it. I'm looking forward to that continuing over on Binge. Uh, I also checked out uh, How I Met Your Father, which is obviously the sequel to How I Met Your Mother. Well, kind of sequel. Um, Finally, the episode is released in Australia on Disney+. Plus. Uh, starring Hilary Duff as the person wanting to find the love of their life. Uh, Kim Cattrall plays the future version. It very much has a very similar formula to How I Met Your Mother, uh, in which, you know, it's a mystery. The person, one of these people she meets on this first uh, 
Knight uh, is going to be the father. That's that like they have a very clear premise at the start. Uh, like she meets the she gets in a tent in a Uber uh, with uh, Chris Pat no Chris Lau, I think that's right. Who people would know from Veronica Mars and uh, other stuff. Glow. Yeah. From Glow, yeah. Uh, he uh, gets in his Uber. She's going on a Tinder date with a person that she thinks is definitely the one for her. Um, they've been talking for ages. They're finally going to meet in person. Uh, she goes to... She realizes she's left her phone in his car. So he has to go to the bar that his friend works at for their, his engagement party. So there's an engagement in the first episode, similar to the first episode of How Much Mother. Um, and then someone at that engagement party is the is the father is the is the setup at the end of the episode. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I think there's an interesting dynamic between all the different characters and like there's a different crew, definitely a different f- flavor to the How Much Mother cast and that kind of stuff but uh i'm quite enjoying it um there are some like very cool nods to the original series the most prominent is at the end of the first episode uh chris lau's character jesse and his roommate uh who was a roommate sid go back to their apartments and it's the apartment from how much mother it's like we got this we got this off a old couple old married couple or whatever so you know uh I, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's only like three episodes in. Uh, you haven't seen one of the other things that happened spoiled for you on the internet then? No, I, I did see what it was spoiled, you know. Okay. I saw the articles, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'll see. I'll just click. Yeah, <laughs> I think fine. that was possibly the last episode because for some reason. Yeah, there's only I don't ten know episodes. Why they, yeah, they were like, oh, let's like not put it in Australia until it's like nearly finished. It's probably like licensing deals or whatever. I don't know because obviously it's a Hulu series or whatever, so. But yeah, I'm enjoying that. You should check it out on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Dylan, you checked out the new Ben Affleck Anna Amas Anna Diamas? Yeah. yeah. Sexual thriller. <laughs> Deep Water. The movie that just um, kind of disappeared and now it's here. Yeah. Um, it's meh. <laughs> Um, I, I think th- I've seen some people say they really like this. Others are um, a bit more like me. So it's, it seems to be a sort of love it or hate it sort of thing. Um, it is just like, so the premise for this, I, it's hard, like without spoiling, the movie starts and you introduce to Ben Affleck's character and he's married to Anna Diamas, Diamas, uh, this is character. Um, they have a kid. Um, however, she has other sexual partners. Um, he does not. Um, and it is, it is that you're led to believe that he sort of allows it so they can have a happy family life. Like she, uh, like maybe she was going to leave him. I don't like, you know, without saying if the movie says anything more than that, it may or may not. Um, uh, but that's sort of the setup. Um, and as the movie continues, you just things start to get weirder i guess between them as she introduces a new uh lover into their life um i guess is the easy way to set it all up um i just feel like the character no character in this feels real like and it's not like uh, and i'm not coming at this as a like 
no man would let his like let know, his wife sweep of other people. Yeah. I'm like polyamorous people exist. That's fine. It's just the way they are written. Like, and it's just it, every it, like, and not even them. Like every also all the side characters. Everyone just feels like weird in this in this movie. Like just off. Like they're living in a completely different universe. Um, and also like Ben Affleck's character. Um, he plays it very similar to his character in Gone Girl, which is fine. Um, I don't, I know people may say, like, I remember one of the criticisms for his role in Gone Girl was like, it's bad acting. I'm like, no, it really worked in Gone Girl because it was supposed to be this sort of like, you know, creepy dude. Like, like you mm. couldn't tell if he was a liar or he was the, the truth, like the one saying the, the truth. And that's, yeah. a, that's a similar sort of thing that he gives this, which is what's necessary for this role. However, it just feels like a repeat and it's not in a as good movie or nowhere near as good yeah. movie because Gone Girl is really fucking good. So, um, and Anna Diamas, Diamas, uh, her character is just, I don't like her at all. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I was supposed to feel sorry for her. Um, I don't really ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if I was like, I just, I was like, I don't really like either character. I, that's the thing. Like, I don't know who I'm for in this movie. I don't know if I miss the point or whatever, but I'm like, I don't know. Ben Affleck's character seems boring. I got nothing going on with him. I'm not vibing with his character. She just seems like a absolute loose cannon. Someone who I'd never want to meet in my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not. Yeah, I'm not getting anything out of this. Um, it's a weird like people are talking about this like the reviving of a genre because um Adrian Lin came back to out of like 20 years of fucking retirement to direct this after and he's most famous for doing like Fatal Attraction I guess is like the yeah you know, like the peak of sort of or one considered like one of these classic sort of sexual like is like man cheating on woman sort of like sexual thrillers where there's like and he shoots all the sex scenes with fucking handy cam for some reason which he does in this one as well um. I don't know, he's weird. Like, he's 80 years old. <laughs> like, I think he's, like, legit, like, 80 years old. It's a weird, it's wow. a weird movie to be directing. So, uh, I don't know why he came out of retirement and do this, but, um, yeah, it definitely wasn't worth it. Unless he was out of money, I guess, but good, good, good. I don't um, think it would have, seeing as it just got yeah. thrown on <laughs> yeah, Amazon. So, it's just, it just got thrown, thrown around, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, um, I was looking forward to this because I, I really like the, the, the cast and I guess I like these types of thrillers in general when they're done well but um, yeah I would I think I gave it like a five on track mm. uh, that's where I'd be around for this so yeah um, I would say don't watch it it also goes for like two hours and like it drags it drags <laughs> like yeah. I was bored by then so I know yeah the reaction to it seems a bit mixed so you know some people like comparing it to Gone Girl like a spiritual successor or um Gone Girl's fantastic. Just watch like, that instead. Watch Gone Girl instead. <laughs> Just right. watch it again. <laughs> there's, there's my uh, there's my thing. That's your thing. Uh, all right. I checked out the TV series Minx that we talked about the trailer for last week. It's on Stan. Uh, follows a young woman named Joyce whose dream has always been to create a uh, feminist magazine uh, during the 19th, set in the 1970s, you know, when magazines actually were being released regularly like new ones were being published all the time uh but you know there is very little interest in a magazine uh you know it's consuming her life her boyfriend kind of gives her her ultimatum it's either him or her magazine uh and she decides she's gonna keep pursuing the magazine uh at a convention a pitch fest she comes across uh jake johnson's character doug who is the uh owner or publisher 
of uh, a lot of male adult magazines. Um, and he pitches, you know, that she should come do a magazine for him in which she can do all his feminist stuff, uh, but give them, hide, hide the, hide the medicine by putting, having male centerfolds in the magazine. Um, I, I really enjoyed this. I don't, I don't, I believe it's completely original. I don't think it's based on a true story. I googled this after we did it last time because I was like, "Is this a real thing?" But no, I didn't. no. But the interesting thing is that there's a big turning point in the story in which um, she's like, "I don't really, really don't want to do this." Um, but then in Cosmopolitan, uh, Burt Reynolds did a centerfold. I'm pretty sure it's real. That's a real thing. That's a yes. Real thing. He does a centerfold, and she's like, "Yeah, people really are into this. This could be a success." Um, so yeah, it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. You know, Jake Johnson, you're like, I'm a fan. Like I'll watch anything he's in pretty much. Uh, I feel your love, good love, love, bond, love it bond. Uh, she's really a great lead, even though she's kind of, it's interesting to see her in this cause it's very clear. She's like, she's, uh, kind of sexually repressed character who is like very timid around all the the open sickness, especially when she walks into the offices of this magazine and there's like, they're like taking photo shoots of women. Like and there's all these posters on the, in the room about all these magazines, uh, and that kind of stuff. And like them having like a casting call for the photo shoot. And it's all these men coming into this cut room and just taking off their pants. There's a lot of full frontal nudity in this TV series. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, really enjoyable. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. It's like quite interesting, you know. Little series. Uh, there's two episodes at the moment. I believe they'll release two episodes every Thursday night because um, it's going in release with the HBO on HBO Max. So I recommend t- two a week. That's weird. I think so. That's kind of what it looked like. Uh, it's an odd release schedule, isn't it? When they were they done that for anything else? I mean, other things like release multiple episodes in the one go. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard any of the HBO Max stuff. I thought they were all week, 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 week. I think it. I, well, that's just based on like uh, an episode thing that I saw, but that is now gone from the Wikipedia page. So maybe they will stretch it out to a week. Yeah, it looked like it was going to be two a week, but yeah. Now we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I'm really digging it. Check it out. Uh, also on stand, I watched. Uh, Show Me the Money, which is a documentary series focusing on the player agents of the AFL um, at the end of last season during the trade period and the draft. Um, it's a nice taster. Like, if you if you wanted your little bit of an AFL fix before the season kicked off, um, this kind of goes behind the scenes of what the draft period kind of looks like and, like, kind of has a small look at, like, the relationship between players and agents. Um, I feel like, especially compared to something else I'll talk about in a second, like it is very short and doesn't cover as much as you would hope. It's like, especially when we had that other AFL documentary, like a couple of years ago, like where they followed them through the whole season and that kind of thing. Um, this is like three or four weeks. It's like really hard to get much stories, especially it didn't help that this trade season 
didn't have like any massive trades or anything. It was all quite small. Um, yeah, I think this would have worked better if it had to follow these people for like a whole year. So you could kind of get a look at what their day to day actually looks like. Like what, what are they, how are they actually dealing with clients? How do they get clients? Um, and that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, is it like a precursor to the season? I think it works reasonably well. Um, yeah, only three episodes long. It follows four different uh, agencies, of, like four groups of characters. Um, one of them, Quince, is quite amusingly, was the winner of the first season of Big Brother. So he won that show, rode the publicity train for a while. He's like, oh, it's starting to die off. I'm going to use this money to do something I love. And he starts his own AFL play agency, which is quite amusing. Um, but yeah, it's quite it, it's it's all right if you're an AFL fan. It's worth the under three hours to watch the three episodes. So yeah, show me the money on Stan. All right, let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. So I watched the big Netflix release, or well, one of the big Netflix releases of the last two weeks, the Ryan Reynolds film. The Adam Project. Uh, so this follows uh, Ryan Reynolds' character uh, Adam Reed, who's a time pilot from 2050. Uh, he opens the film, escaping from some benevolent force. He accidentally goes back in time to 2018, no, 2022, in which he encounters his younger self, uh, and he needs to interact with him because he needs him to help him fix his ship. Because his ship is DNA uh, connected, and he is he got shot in the process of escaping, and doesn't have enough DNA to is not healthy enough to to that turn the ship such, on. That is such that's such a convoluted. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm not even going to try and explain the plot of this movie. It is it is convoluted. It is very much pulling a lot of different threads from different things you love. I really dug it. I really enjoyed the first three quarters <laughs> of the movie. It is quite enjoyable. Uh, I think the young kid, they've got to play the younger version of him, Scoble Walker, I want to say, off the top of my head. Uh, Walker Scoble, yeah. Uh, he's quite good and gives he gives that Ryan Reynolds delivery of things that works because he this kid is an asshole because Ryan Reynolds like usually plays an asshole. Uh, so he says a lot of dickish things, especially, you know, the first thing you see is him getting beaten up by a bunch of bullies uh, and him just having a smart ass mouth the entire time. Um, yeah, there's like a lot of moments of enjoyable, like, you know, banter and you know, Ryan Reynolds being a dick to the younger version of himself because he kind of hates himself um, and that kind of stuff. It's, it's it's quite enjoyable. And then you add like some of the sci-fi elements to that. It's like pretty amusing. Uh, Zoe Saldana shows up at one point. She's great. Um, uh, Jennifer Garner plays his mother. And she's really good as well. It gets bad <laughs> towards the end when they add... They have more of the sci-fi elements. And especially when they bring in uh, Catherine Keener, who is like the big bad. Uh, including a ver- younger version of herself, in which features probably the worst deep fake de-aging tech we've seen so far uh it is pretty horrendous um yeah it's pretty bad to look at uh 
but yeah, it, it kind of unravels towards the end and Kaboom's like a CGI fest and a pretty bad CGI fest at that. Uh, but you know, for the most part, I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> there's like, there's, there's certain elements that like pulled at your heartstrings and like made you feel, uh, and like were kind of cool. And like, it's cool to see Ryan Reynolds do what he does best. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, worth checking out the Adams Project, you know, maybe you'll work a little bit more for you if you don't, as long as Sold you're prepared. Me. As long as you're prepared for, like, bad Catherine Keener de-aging characters, you know, and, like, badly photoshopped, like, photos of, like, celebrities together, you know what I mean? Well, if I'm sick of Ryan Reynolds just doing Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Why would you be sick of Ryan Reynolds doing Ryan Reynolds, seeing as you just watched the other, (laughs) as you just watched Red Notice, the other Netflix movie starring Ryan Reynolds? That movie is so bad. (laughs) There's my review. Is the most like, yeah, I feel like it's just like the movie was cast and then they wrote the script per day as they were filming, you know, like the action scenes and there, the story is like, whatever. It's literally just like, is the most paint by numbers. We got Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot and Ryan, uh, the, the Dwayne Johnson in a movie together. That'll sell itself. Fuck, I was bored. Oh my god. I zoned out. Bad. Don't watch Red Nose. Alright. There you go. Uh, also, you watched the last part of the Genius Trilogy. What did you... Didn't finish it. Shit. <laughs> I lost complete attention. I decided to go do something else. I had like 20 minutes left. I probably won't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> What a good start, you know what I mean? Like, let's reiterate again. That first part, that first episode of Jesus. G-U-Jesus. That's good. You should all watch that. Just pretend part two and three don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty rough. I understand. Did you at least get to the bit where he did, like, his running for president? Or didn't get that far? Uh, Maybe I didn't get that far. Maybe I've got more than 20 minutes left. I don't know. Maybe that's in the last 20 minutes. Fuck that. No, it probably is in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Who knows? Oh, I better that, go watch that. that. goes forever. No, no don't, it's fine. We'll move on. Not a great it's hard to, And it's hard Netflix. to watch. It's hard to watch Kanti, Kanye with him on the news constantly being a prick, too. You know what I mean? Yep. At least watching part one, you were like, ah, oh, he's so young and yeah. sort of like, as I said, like he's cocky, but it's kind of like a different of, person. You can sort of, like, vibe with him, and then, yeah, now it's like, well, this is the Kanye that's, like, just got banned from performing at the Grammys, like, <laughs> no, nah, I'm good. Alright. Uh, so, I watched Season 4, Drive to Survive, the big F1 documentary series uh, that everybody kind of looks forward to at the start of every year, before the Formula 1 season kicks off, uh, of course... This season kind of has a had a lot of buzz going into it because of the conclusion of last season in which, uh, spoilers, Max Verstappen ended up world champion in controversy. Um, I enjoyed it. It was it's like as good as all the other seasons, you know, um, lots of cool behind the scenes kind of stuff. It is kind of missy. Obviously, Max Verstappen is like he doesn't want to be part of the show. Because he believes, like, obviously, he says they 
uh, manipulate some of the footage so it looks like they've got rivalries and that kind of stuff. And that is completely true. <laughs> they they do manipulate it to make it tell stories in certain ways. But that, in my opinion, that's fine. Obviously, this show is like greatly enhanced people's interest in the show uh in the sport um so you know you can kind of forgive some of that um it's interesting also watching it back uh one of the drivers for the team Haas is Nikita Mazbin who is Russian um and probably is known because in the last few weeks he's been kicked out of the sport because he is Russian and like his father has clear ties to to Putin and that kind of stuff and then watching this with that news is like I don't know if they purposely made it, like, presented him in a bad light on purpose. Uh, but, yeah, they both look pretty terrible through this, so, you know. There's it's, no it's... way they could have edited this. This would have no. been sitting right No, it, it's pretty clear they were dicks before, so, I mean, it doesn't... Yeah, yeah. It's hard. Uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, with regards to the conclusion of the season, I kind of wish there had been more time between the events, you know what I mean? Like, if they had of... Um, they had of had more reaction to that last lap. Had a more reaction from other voices other than the direct two teams that are involved. Um, that would have been cool, and it just kind of ends after you know Max Verstappen wins. He celebrates. Um, yeah, it kind of felt like a bit anticlimactic. Unless, unless you're someone who likes Max Verstappen or who didn't know what was ha- how. A- the events unfolded. Do you think it just would have been better if, like, if someone won who's actually involved in the show? That would have helped. Yeah. <laughs> but the the team boss, uh, Christian Horner, is, like, in it a lot. Uh, like, he's one of the key people, I think, getting the show up and running and that kind of stuff. But, yeah. Really good. It was really interesting to see all the, like, smaller drivers and, obviously, the other big story running through the season was... Uh, the battle between George Russell and uh, Valtteri Bottas to potentially fill the Mercedes slot this season um, and kind of seeing how that kind of played out was interesting. So, yeah, if you're a big F1 fan, you should watch this season of Drive to Survive. Uh, Dylan, there is another show that I've been watching in the last few days. I've just been binge watching it through. Uh, It's the show, baking show, Is It Cake? in which a bunch of professional cake makers uh, try to fool judges into uh, thinking their cake is not actually oh, cake. They've literally, take, they've literally taken a, that TikTok fucking video yep. trend and just made it a show. Yeah. So these nine bakers okay. come and are competing for prize money uh, to fool these mostly Netflix uh, presenters, judges, uh, into believing, you know, that their cake is an actual real whatever it is. Um, I enjoyed it. It's super charming. Uh, Mikey Day from Saturday Night Live hosts. He's fine. You know, I, I don't, I think his humor like will work for some people and probably won't work for others. Um, but you know, there's a lot of camaraderie amongst the competitors and that kind of stuff. It's not like super, there's no like bitchy characters or like, um, people like, super antagonistic or in it for themselves uh there's super like togetherness feeling about the show which kind of makes you feel good about watching it and seeing these people compete and like them get excited about succeeding and like it's crazy some of the shit they do like making 
making all these cakes that look like could believably look like uh like a cake of a bowling pin that looks like an actual bowling pin or a cake of like a a statue of a duck make it look real um is pretty crazy so uh i recommend checking out an episode or two and like get see how you how you feel about it it's quite a fun like little show to have fun in the background or like zone out to i think it's quite people do like reacts to like the tiktok ones where they'll you know watch the videos the montage of people and be like trying to guess what it is and be like cake fuck cake fuck like, <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, Mikey, Mikey Day, like, is a, he has a knife. He goes around with knives and, like, starts cutting all sorts of stuff. Uh, because, yeah, they have a challenge where they're, like, uh, they cook for the judges. If they fool the judges, they pass through. Uh, if more than one person fools the judges, then the judges decide, based on how good the, the cake is and how good the cake tastes, who wins. They go into a final round where they have to choose between two cakes, two, like a bag of money, and then a cake that's looked a ba- like a bag of money, just to win $5,000. They have to figure out which one's a cake. That's like the thing at the end of each episode, so. It's, yeah, it's quite enjoyable, and it's crazy to think people make random these show. cakes look. Yeah, it is quite random. Uh, I've also, a few episodes into, well, I'm probably like halfway through. Uh, the Big Mouth spin-off series, Human Resources, uh, in which, you know, you follow all the different uh, hormone monsters and love bugs and hate worms and shame wizards and uh, depression cats. is like a lot of different things. Um, yeah, it's enjoyable. It's, it's like, obviously, it is not big mouth there's definitely it takes that uh growing up element out of it but it is definitely connected obviously like uh andrew shows up uh in one episode obviously you do have maurice and connie uh and pretty much all the different hormone monsters you've seen through the show um but it does introduce a new love bug called uh emmy voiced by uh ad bryant who is kind of the the focused character through the season um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's like got that same kind of big mouth tone. Uh, of Here's crazy. my question for the show: What is mm. the point? Because the thing that makes big mouth good is the growing up aspect and like the the sort of like outlandish humor is just like that makes it funny. But the reason the show is good is because it has like serious sort of undertones or whatever. So what, what's this like? Why like? What's I think the it story? is more the outlandish. Yeah, so is it? It's just. It does have like. It does like this season. It's following this uh, woman named Becca as well, who is Emmy's like first person that she's like a love. She's a love bug. She's trying to. She's filling in for the love bug who was caring for Becca because she got fired. uh, And she's just had a baby and it's like. The pro. Like dealing with that time period between after you've had a baby and like postponed. Postpartum depression and like, uh, like being co- constantly overwhelmed by this kid who's like <laughs> demanding so much of you and you're not having your needs met and that kind of stuff. I feel like it's got that element to it as well. It does touch on a few other trends, like other smaller characters around them and that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, it is more, it more leans on the outlandish humor kind of side where these, the, all the hormone monsters are like, want to, 
fuck everywhere in the office and it's like yeah, hey someone from human <laughs> resources comes along and it's like hey you can't do that anymore it's like well no yes we can and it's like come to a compromise where they get their own room where they can fuck all the time so, you know uh, it, it's funny it's amusing <laughs> there's some crazy side stories and that kind of stuff so yeah if you if you enjoyed the monsters side of big mouth and that's the side you love more this will really speak to you but yeah it's enjoyable all right that's everything in our watch histories uh let's move on this week we're talking about our predictions for the year 94th academy awards uh so we'll go through each category um giving our predictions if you also want to say who you want to win and not necessarily who you actually predicted you can say that as well that's what, what if people i predict like. with my heart you know yeah just give some explanation behind your picks is all I'm saying <laughs> you know alright so let's kick things off with best visual effects the nominees are Dune Free Guy No Time to Die Shang-Chi and The T- Legend of the Ten Rings and Spider-Man No Way Home Dylan I went with Dune um, I think that film has a uses the often the thing people get this award is it's like best visual effects to help the movie, not just the most flashy visual effects. And I feel like everything about the effects in Dune is really, really good and obviously helped elevate that movie. Um, whereas, you know, something like Free Guy is just, you know, it's a big CGI fuckfest. So. <laughs> My favorite uh, genre. Absolutely. Yeah, I also went with Dune. Uh, I think, like, spitting off slightly what you said, uh, it's definitely for the best special effects, not for the most special effects, um, yeah. and or at least not the most obvious special effects. Um, and Dune definitely has the most subtle, like but uh, effective special effects, probably of that batch. Uh, uh, and spoiler alert: I'm predicting Dune to do very well, especially in these technical awards. Uh, so next category is best sounds. Nominees are Belfast, Dune, No Time to Die. Power of the Dog and West Side Story. I've gone with Dune. I think, yeah, it is just going to sweep a lot of these technical awards, and you know, it does sound good. You know, the the sound of the the dragonfly ship things. It's cool. Yeah, I, I went with Dune as well. So, for basically the same reasons, I just think yep. it has the best sound sound mix of the thing. So, because they right. changed it, it's like you, you used to have two categories, and you just got best sound. So, yeah. Cutting, cutting more things. Mm-hmm. Uh, next category: best short live action. The nominees are Ella Kuchu, Take and Run, The Dress, The Long Goodbye, On My Mind, and Please Hold. Dylan, I haven't watched any of these shorts, so uh, everything in any of these categories, I'm just guessing. So I have no follow up reason as to uh, of, of them. I just guessed. Um, unlike last year, where I actually had time and managed to watch some. This year, nah. nah. Uh, so I've gone with the long goodbye. That's the one I picked at random as well. <laughs> wow. I mean, it sounds good. You know, it's like a good title. I know you shouldn't judge things on the title, but yeah. why not? But in this case, literally all that's happened. <laughs> all right. Next category is best short animated. The nominees are Affairs of the Art, Bestia, Box Bellet, Robin Robin, and The Windshield Riper. Windshield Wiper. I've gone Robin Robin, which is uh, got that's the arc 
Ardman animation uh, entry, a uh, big Christmas movie, like 30 minutes long. It's got like full on merchandise done by Netflix. Uh, I think it's big enough that it will probably like, it's it's probably like a big enough known quality that the pe- people just vote for it. So yeah, that's my pick. I went box ballot. Let's see. I'm not sure if it's box ballot or ba- box ballet. I went box ballet. It could be ballot. <laughs> Whatever, I went that You just one. picked it random? Yeah, yeah, random. Random. All right, next category. Best production design. The nominees are Dune, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. Dylan? I went West Side Story because that's, I feel like, has everything. For some of these categories where I've picked West Side Story, it's more or less because I'm like, man, it's, it's set during the, you know, 50s, 60s, whatever the fuck it's set. You know, all those costumes and the, the you know, the set design and everything. That speaks to Academy. That's that swears Academy Award. But as much as I think West Side Story wins, I would love Nightmare Alley to actually win this because I think it has, like, really good production design for that yeah. Uh, I've gone with Dune again. <laughs> I think we know that so much of those uh, sets were practical, um, like full-on spaceships and that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, people appreciate that. And, like, co- all the costume designs are really cool, like all the suits. Uh, and, you know, I think production design-wise very high up there as well. Uh, next category. Best original song. The nominees are Be Alive from King Richard. Dos Arigitas from Encanto, Down to Joy from Belfast, No Time to Die from No Time to Die, and Somehow You Do from Four Good Days. I've gone with Dos Arigitas to uh, be the surprise victory here, much in the way that uh, the Coco song, Remember Me, like that's pulled out the wind over the top of uh, that song from The Greatest Showman. I'm expecting a, a surprise in that regard, especially seeing as the Billy Irish song has been out for like six years. I picked No Time to Die because I feel like none of the rest are super memorable. Um, that said, I also want to point out how funny it is. It goes, No Time to Die, somehow you do. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite amusing. Uh, it's also quite amusing that they're like pumping up that they're going to perform. Uh, you, we don't talk about Bruno during the the ceremony. Yeah, that song should have been nominated. That's the only one I remember from the movie. I mean, I don't know how they decide these things. Uh, yeah. uh, next category, best original score. The nominees are Don't Look Up by Nicholas Brutel, Dune by Hans Zimmer, Encanto from Jermaine Franco, Parallel Mothers from Alberto Iglesias, and The Power of the Dog, Johnny Greenwood. Um, I've got the power of the dog. That's my personal and what I think will win. I think it's a fantastic score. Very important to that movie. Very important in setting the scene and the tone and everything and just the general build up of the backbone of that movie. Um, so yeah, I've got the power of the dog. I've gone with Dune again. I think obviously Hans Zimmer, big name, uh, but that score was like weird and crazy and was fairly alien and felt like something that was fitting of a sci-fi epic like Dune, so that's the way I went. Uh, best makeup and hairstyling nominees are Coming to America, Cruella, Dune, 
The Eyes of Tammy Faye, House of Gucci. I've gone with Cruella, which I feel like is an odd choice, uh, but I think for a movie that's obviously high on fashion, it's also kind of high on makeup. Uh, maybe not as uh, protesthetic or, you know, prosthetic heavy as the last couple of nominees have been, but uh, yeah, that's where I'm leaning. Dylan? I've picked The Eyes of Tammy Faye, but my personal pick would I'd love for Cruella to win. I think that would be, like, deserving and be great for that to pick it up. But, yeah, I've got Eyes of Tammy Faye. Obviously, I haven't watched it yet, but, um, you know, I know everyone... We've all seen Jessica Chastain. Yeah, we've, we've seen Jessica Chastain, even get Andrew Garfield, the aging and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I'm going with that. And uh, House of Gucci, you know, Jared Leto does not deserve shit for that. <laughs> for that. So, not, no. even the, not even in... Not even in the not even in the sixth degree, not sixth way. Yeah. All right. Uh, All right. Next category: best international feature film. The nominees are "Drive My Car" from Japan, "Flee" from Denmark, "The Hand of God" from Italy, "Luana: A Yak in the Classroom" from Bhutan, and "The Worst Person in the World" from Norway. Dylan, I went drive my car. Uh, that's the one with the most buzz. I haven't watched any of these this year, disappointingly. So I'm just going with what I see has the highest praise, um, which is Drive My Car. I've also gone with Drive My Car. Obviously, it's it's nominated for Best Picture, so it's hard not yeah. to go. Well, that's clearly the best of that bunch. Uh, but I would not be surprised if like Flea or Worst Person in the World picks it up. Yeah. I mean, certainly the worst person in the world has been talked about just as much as I uh, drive my car, I feel, at some stage. So. Yeah. I, th- I think worst person in the world is could easily have been the 11th nominee. Yeah. yeah. Or should have replaced. Uh, or should have replaced something. Replaced d- certain, yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next category is best film editing. The nominees are Hank Corwin for Don't Look Up, Joe Walker for Dune, Pamela Martin for King Richard, Peter Skibberus for The Power of the Dog, Myron Kirstein and Andrew Weisbloom for Tick, Tick, Boom. I've gone with Dune. Um, you know, it's, again, a big production. Like I think it is well put together, but I would love for Tick, Tick, Boom to pick it up here. I think, obviously, they make some interesting editing choices throughout the film, um, whether it's through the songs or, like... Uh, different the, the storytelling of that movie um yeah that would be cool if they won but yeah i've gone with the safer pick of dune i've gone with tick tick boom for the reasons you Ooh. just said the the fantastic editing when they're actually doing the songs and it's cutting back to him performing on stage and then um like dancing around and the way that's intercut with everything i think there's like as well as everything else but yeah i think the editing sort of the highlight um of that movie so yeah wow it's, it's, yeah interesting uh next category best documentary short the nominees are audible lead me home the queen of basketball three songs of benazir and when we were bullies uh dylan i have randomized and picked three songs for benazir all right i've gone the queen of basketball because you know the academy loves sports movies <laughs> Good pick as any. Uh, next category: Best Documentary Feature. The nominees are Ascension, 
Attica, Flea, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, Riding with Fire. I've gone with Flea, but I would, I, I reckon Summer of Soul will win, purely because it's more of a crowd pleasy kind of documentary. And they, a lot of, uh, a lot of entertainment based documentaries have been successful. Whereas, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Flea, like, pulls off the win, uh, seeing as it's like a immigrant story and obviously with the, a lot of the events happening around the world at the moment, uh, it could, like, pull off the victory here. And, you know, maybe they, it's been nominated for so much, they would want to give it something. Pretty yeah, I'm with Flea, because I feel like if it's going to win anywhere, it's here out of everything that it's nominated for, so. Yeah. All right. Uh... Next category is Best Costume Design. The nominees are Jenny Beaven for Cruella, Massimo Cantini, Perini, and Jacqueline Duran for Cyrano, Jacqueline West and Robert Morgan for Dune, Luis Sakira for Nightmare Alley, Paul Tazewell for West Side Story. Dylan? Uh, I went West Side Story for the stuff I was saying before. Um. All the costumes at the Academy sorts of loves. Older, older timey sort of stuff, I guess. Um, it's either that or Cyrano, I guess. <laughs> uh, they, lo- they love some, like, dresses. The Academy loves some dresses. Big, uh, big dresses. Yeah, the Academy loves big dresses, and that's why I've gone with Cruella. The okay. movie about big dresses. It's true. How could true. it not I win? I, I just, I just can't. See, yeah, I can't. See I it, think we called it like six when the movie I came know, out. Like, if, if it won, if if Cruella wins, I'm fine. That's that's great. I just don't see the Academy giving Cruella an award for best costume design. I don't know. It's picked those. up a lot of awards, like yeah, in the season. So Academy is Academy. That's true. Different ball game, but yeah, know, I'd be happy with that. But yeah, I'm going West Side Story. All right. Uh, next category is best cinematography. The nominees are. Greg Fraser for Dune, Dan Lauston for Nightmare Alley, Ari Wegner for The Power of the Dog, Bruno Delbonel for The Tragedy of Macbeth, and Jesus Kaninsky for West Side Story. I've gone with Ari Wegner for Power of the Dog, uh, but I think this is a very close category. I wouldn't be surprised if Greg Fraser picks up for Dune. I feel like a lot of cat- a lot of awards over the season have gone to different cinematographers, uh, but I think Ari Wagner will win it uh, for Power of the Dog, which will be cool. I think the second- I would love that to be a thing, um, but I went West Side Story. <laughs> it's all the highlight of the movie. Um, it's shot very, very well. Um, even if Ansel Elgott ruins it and um, some other things, but uh, it's, it's shot very, 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 very well. So, All right. Uh, next category, Best Animated Feature. The nominees are Encanto, Flea, Luca, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, and Raya and the Last Dragon. Dylan? I went with The Mitchells vs. the Machines, because fuck it. Let's do it. Let's actually give an award (laughs) to the movie that deserves it this year, and not just to Disney Pixar. And I love Raya. (laughs) <laughs> but the Mitchells vs. Machines deserves it I also went the Mitchells versus the Machines I think uh, it is definitely the underdog I think the front runner is Encanto 
uh, which picked up like awards at the BAFTAs and Golden Globes and a bunch of different places. Uh, we'll get into it later, but obviously the Mitchells won at the Annies. I feel like the Mitchells has been the hard, the hardest movie campaigning, uh, at least from what we see on like Twitter and that kind of stuff. It's like you see so much buzz around that movie. You had people like Seth Rogen and that like tweeting out their support. Like if you can vote for it, vote for it. Um, hopefully it pulls it out. Uh, I love that movie. I think it's the best animated, uh, best story. Uh, funniest movie. Uh, yeah, I'd love it to win, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> I'm expecting to be disappointed. <laughs> All right. Uh, next category, Best Supporting Actress. The nominees are Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBoyce for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog, Arjuan Ellis for King Richard. Uh, I've gone Ariana DeVoice. She's like won every single award in the run-up to this. Uh, she's a clear favourite, and I don't think she's going to be taken, beaten by anybody on this list, unfortunately. I've also Go. gone Ariana DeVoice for all of that. Uh, my personal pick would be Kirsten Dunst, but yeah, Ariana DeVoice. All right. Uh, next category, Best Supporting Actor. The nominees are Kieran Hines for Belfast, Troy Kotzer for Coda, Jesse Plemons for The Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos, and Cody Smith-McPhee for The Power of the Dog. Dylan? I went Troy Costa for Coda, um, because he's actually... Coda's been having some random luck lately, so uh, why not? I can come through. It would be a really big Oscar moment, too, for, for him to win, so... Um, and he would, out of them, he would actually be my personal pick too, so I would, I'm down for that. Yeah, I also went with Troy Kotzer, who was the Explosion Network's Best Supporting Actor, uh, Best Actor in p- Supporting Performance from last year. Uh, I think he is almost a lock, which is crazy. Uh, Can't wait to tweet that. Congratulations to <laughs> Explosion Network's winner, <laughs> our new Oscar yeah. win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic performance. Uh, he's been so good on the tra- campaign trail, picking up a bunch of awards. Uh, yeah, really happy for him and uh, excited to see him win an Oscar and excited to see what clip they show uh, from the movie. Uh, hopefully it's either the, the doctor scene or him telling the daughter off when he finds a boy in a room. Yeah, both would be great. Uh, best Actress. The nominees are Jessica, Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Colman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. I've gone with Jessica Chastain. She's got all the momentum at the moment. Um, it's hard to see, you know. her. She's in a very, very close race. She's currently the favorite, so I'm going to go put my chips on her. I'm all in on commitment. Christian Stewart. Let's go. I want to say I was there. I want to say I believed. I want to say I picked her. You know, I don't want to say I was, you know, I said I wanted it to be her, but pick someone else. No, I want to commit. I'm picking her. Christian Stewart. Let's do it. Let's see. Uh, Best actor, the nominees are 
Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield for Tick Tick Boom, Will Smith for King Richard, and Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth. I've gone with Will Smith. He is another chew-in at this point. Um, yeah. Hard to see him losing it at this point, but again, I would love Andrew Garfield to to win because he's fantastic in Tick Tick Boom. I've gone Will Smith as well. Um, I would love Benedict Cumberbatch to win, but yeah, Will Smith seems like the the shoe in. Yep. Uh, all right. Best original screenplay. The nominees are Belfast, Don't Look Up, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, The Worst Person in the World. Don't worry, have gone. I've gone King Richard. Um. I don't know. Like, I feel like <laughs> I was nearly going to pick Licorice Pizza, but I don't know. Just, I'm le- I'm le- I was just, something pulled me to King Richard, so maybe it's just because I picked Will Smith two seconds before I picked this award. That could totally <laughs> be it. Uh, but anyway, I've gone King Richard. All right. Well, I feel better about my choice because I also, my gut tells me that Licorice Pizza is going to win, but I've gone with the worst person in the world. Um, because you know the the best original screenplay, or at least one of the screenplay categories, has always been kind of a weird left field, like up and comer pick. I feel like that's the way this one will go. Uh, yeah. So I've gone with yeah, worst person in the world. Getting some love here. Uh, all right, best adapted screenplay. The nominees are Coda, Drive My Car, Dune, The Lost Daughter. And the power of the dog. I've gone with the power of the dog. Uh, I think, you know, it is the front runner, the favorite. Uh, although I, I would be pretty happy with any of these winning. You know, Coda would be a cool uh, win, considering that script is quite different to the the original screenplay. Uh, I don't know what Drive My Car is based on. Dune would also be a cool win, seeing as it's a very good movie and we've had two terrible adaptations or not well received adaptations so far. So, but yeah, I'm picking Power of the Dog. I also went Power of the Dog. Um, obviously, it's my favorite movie from the bunch, but I'm also like, I don't know. From what I understand, that was a sort of hard book to adapt and tell the story. So, I mean, so same could be said for Dune, I guess. So, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just going with the Power of the Dog. But yeah, the, I mean, the rest <laughs> is fine. It's not like one that's, it's a hard category. So, just going yep. with my heart, I guess, a bit. Yep. All right. Next category Best Director. The nominees are Kenneth Branner for Belfast. Rizuki Hamaguchi for Drive My Car, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. I've gone with Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. I feel like uh, that's probably a precursor for the next category, but I think you know she's got all the momentum. It, it's you know even her latest tick up, I don't think will derail her <laughs> her run uh, to winning, becoming the first woman to win two. Best Director Academy Awards. Yeah, I've gone with her as well. Uh, again, very close category, but just leading with my heart a bit more. Plus, my heart also lines up with the fact that they have been, <laughs> she has been winning some stuff, so it's not like I'm fucking shooting for fences over here, but yeah, Jane Campion. Yep. In her All speech, right. she will not mention Black Any sp- <laughs> <laughs> She will not compare herself to any athletes. <laughs> All right. 
last category, the big one. Best picture. The nominees are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story. Dylan, what's your pick? Power of the Dog, come on baby, let's bring it home. Yeah, I've also gone Power of the Dog, (laughs) I think. Uh, Again, all the momentum's there. Well, actually, not all the momentum is there, but, you know, there is a fair amount of momentum there. Coda is the surprise movie that could upset uh, it, uh, I think, just hours before the recording of this podcast. It won at the Producers Guild. Obviously, it won at the SAG Awards. Um, you know, there is clearly some love there for Coda. I think it is clear this, it's looking on betting sites, it's number two uh, behind Power of the Dog. Uh which would be crazy because it's like it's obviously not nominated for a bunch of technical awards, which a lot of previous Best Picture winners have had to take home or be, at least be nominated for. Uh, so it would like kind of defy history in that regard. But, you know, it would be crazy to see that win. But, yeah, I don't. It will be Power of the Dog. <laughs> I wouldn't mind if Don't Look Up one, though, solely because I may have put money on it just in case. <laughs> And I'm down to win really? like seven, seven, eight hundred dollars if it wins. So. <laughs> what uh, sports bet? Don't look up. Is at seventy one dollars? Yeah, I can't remember what I when I put money on it. So, but I did it like age. I did it before the nominees even came out. Like the 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 odds were very high. <laughs> so I was like, nah, fuck it. I'm in. It's like, if, if I'm going to feel bad about a movie winning Best Picture, at least I'm going to get paid for it. At least I should make some money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another thing I'll say about this is a good time to bring this up. My pop message me the other day. He said, watch The Power of the Dog last night. The Power of the Dog last night. Not impressed. Four out of ten. Have you seen it? If so, how many out of ten do you give it? I said, nine out of ten was my favorite movie last year. And then he replied, must have been the only thing you watched then. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. Um, yeah, it, whether it's like gets to that stage where it's overhyped a little bit, it's like, but the, you know, these Academy viewers watch, watch a lot of movies. So, I mean, I would, it, it would be a general, genuine shock if Power of the Dog does not win. Hmm. Like, but you know, we it's, all really good, it's a really good list of movies year. though. Like, it's not like a terrible view where something else can, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Look forward to us uh, doing a special episode with our reactions to the Oscar winners uh, after the Academy Boards, which is only a w- less than a week away at time of time release. So yeah, look forward to that. Uh, moving to a little bit of film news, I think uh, kind of an interesting side segue. Um, the Annie Awards, the big animation awards, were held in the last two weeks. Of course, uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines took out the best animated feature film, uh, which, you know, good for them. Uh, Flea took out best animated feature independent, uh, which is uh, very happy about that. But the big winner and the one that's kind of gotten a lot of buzz in the days since, Arcane picked up a bunch of different, uh, nine different awards at the Anime Annie Awards, including uh, best general audience animated television broadcast production. Outstanding achievement for animation, animated effects, 
uh, you know, TV broadcast, best character animation, uh, and best voice acting. Uh, Dylan, did you expect all the love for Arcane within the animation community? No, I would have never picked it. I mean, I guess maybe I'm just used to, I don't know. Because it's not like I feel like everything that's in like the pop culture world, like, you know, it's like, oh, should win awards or whatever. But there's, there's definitely some stuff where I've been like, maybe Dark Knight should have got a bit more love. Maybe Black Panther should have got a bit more love and awards. You know, maybe I'm used to the actually good sort of pop culture sort of. And obviously there hasn't been any good video game movies. So <laughs> it's not really a, a comparison there. But yeah, uh, maybe that's why I wouldn't assume that because it's in that sort of realm of uh, pop culture stuff that it wouldn't have picked up much award-wise but no well deserved um obviously so uh very good yeah absolutely i think it, yeah it is a little bit surprising uh for it to be so successful but yeah it's a series that definitely you know we loved very cool animation style uh great performances uh yeah definitely worthy of all the love and attention it got so looking forward to that uh Looking forward to season two of Arcane. Of course, you can go back and listen to our spoiler casts of each act of Arcane uh, on the What Do You Want to Watch feed. So, cool time to plug that. Uh, Dylan, we just talked about, I just talked about Adam's project um, in which Sean Levy partnered with Ryan Reynolds on their t- second feature together. It was just announced that Ryan- Sean Levy is going to be directing Deadpool 3. Uh, Teaming them up again for the third time after the Adams Project and Free Guy. Uh, this is, a, well, I think it's interesting in the regard that we are getting a Deadpool 3. This was kind of like, will they, won't they? Uh, especially with the Disney merger and that kind of stuff. Um, and wasn't Ryan Reynolds taking like a year off making movies? Or like, wasn't that a thing that he said? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he, <laughs> yeah, like, he could have yeah. already and we just didn't know. Um, it is just attached. I mean, it could take a while to like get. I don't think a script or anything has been completed or anything. Apparently, they are bringing back the team that did uh, Deadpool and Deadpool Two. But uh, how do we feel about Sean Levy, a director best known for his uh, Night at the Museum films, Cheaper by the Dozen, Big Fat Liar, uh, Real Steel, uh, a lot of like more PG family friendly things directing a Deadpool movie. <laughs> I, don't I don't have a problem with it. I mean, he's proved a free guy can shoot the type of movie that Deadpool's gonna be. It's just the, what, adding in the violence? He's not really doing that, so... A lot of time it's special effects, isn't it? So... Mm. So, like, oh, he can fuck up and not make it violent enough. I, like, he won't be writing the script, so... Yeah, I, f- I feel like he's proven he can shoot large special effects heavy action stuff um or at least be comfortable directing people around <laughs> that sort of stuff um so yeah why not yeah i think obviously uh, it probably is more ryan reynolds wanted him for the mm-hmm. job uh obviously with their collaborations uh and like getting along but probably it helped that free guy was a big success um mm-hmm. that you know disney's like hey you should just do deadpool 3 uh but at this point, I have no idea what a Deadpool 3 would look like, and that's cool. Whether they integrate him into the MCU or, it's, or you know, it, is this going to be tied into 
Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I certainly hope so. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's cool that it's a thing that's happening at the very yeah, least. I'm, I'm only interested in Deadpool if it does literally the thing I complain about most of the like movies, which is Deadpool's allowed to just like get all the cameos. Just having Walt up to uh, famous like you know actors and characters that we know and. Like, just build a whole movie around that now that you're actually in the MCU. Like, do that. That's what Deadpool is in the comics anyway, you know? Like, who reads a Deadpool comic for Deadpool's actually his actual story? Fuck no. Okay. Do a time travel story. Do some weird zombies thing. I don't know. Go crazy. Yep, absolutely. All right. Over in the box office, uh, of course, Batman has been reigning supreme. Uh, raking in the money anywhere and everywhere that is being screened. Uh, but there was one other thing that came out in the last week that took a big bite in the box office. And that was BTS, Permission to Dance on Stage, uh, which took home, the, I want to say, $66 million over the weekend on very limited screenings. Um, I know. In uh, several areas across America, it was the number one film uh per district even though it was on limited screens dylan is stuff like this potentially the future of theater content what documentary like live concert things yes or Um, was it just a case of this is bts the number one musical act in the world at the moment and any all their fans will go see whatever they're on 100 percent that because they've done live they've done this concert stuff before i mean they show wrestling in cinemas. You know what I mean? Like, they they show old bunch of... They show heaps of things in cinemas. They have for a while now. This wouldn't be... This isn't the first, so... No, it's, it's 100% the fact that they're a massive global phenomena. The biggest boy band since the Beatles. Um, wow, this is big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know if NSYNC or Backstreet Boys are ever that big. Maybe. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, kind of, that it did that kind of numbers, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely a, oh, definitely seems like it's a one-off, uh, thing, rather than something that could potentially be sustained for the future. Um, especially when a lot of these type of movies have just gone to streaming services. You know, like the Billie Eilish one, the Taylor Swift thing, and the Olivia Rodrigo thing is about to go to Disney Plus as well. Um, I think more people would be willing to go just stream it than go to a cinema to watch something like that. Mm. So, yeah. All right. Uh, that's kind of it for film news this week. Um, let's move into giving some thumbs to trailers. Of course, you can find all this week's trailers in the show notes below. Uh, or you, by going to explosion.coms uh, and finding the what do you want to watch podcast feed there. Uh, first trailer We Own This City, created for TV by David Simon and George Pelikanos, starring John Berenthal, Yumi Mosaku, Jamie Hector, McKinley Belcher III, Daryl Britt Gibson, and Josh Charles. Based on the book, We Own This City, A True Story of Crime, Cops, Corruption by Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton. This gritty drama chronicles the rise and fall of the Baltimore Police Department's Gun Trace Task Force. It exposes the corruption and moral collapse that befalls an American city in which the policies of drug prohibition 
and mass arrest are championed at the expense of actual police work. Uh, Dylan, what did you think of this trailer for the new series from the creator of The Wire? Uh, double thumbs up. Looks great. Can't wait to watch it. This is like classic HBO. Um, obviously, it very much looks like The Wire, but then you've got a sort of fresh one direct. It's just being directed by one person, which is uh, whatever his name is, who did King Richard. Sorry, I can't remember his name. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks really good. John Berthenol looks like John Berthenol, but I mean that in a positive <laughs> way. Um, like he's sort of really good at playing these, which is funny because obviously John Berthenol's in King Richard, not playing this role at all. In fact, he's playing sort of the opposite of this. Um, but in this, he's back to sort of t- typical Berthenol. He's playing hard ass. Sure, but like actual. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah. <laughs> uh, what cops think the pun- Punisher is. Um, yeah. Yeah, it looks, looks really great. I, I'm very, very keen to watch it. This is exactly the sort of limited series stuff that HBO, like, their bread and butter, this sort of stuff, obviously off the wire and everything else. So, yeah, double thumbs up. I'm keen for this one for sure. Yeah, this is two thumbs up for me as well. I think it looks uh, really good and, like, of that prestige television that you kind of expect from HBO. Uh, I think... I don't know if it'll be, like, super successful or j- just because of the subject matter and, like, whether people want to see corrupt cops again. Uh, but, yeah, I think it, it looks interesting and definitely looks like an entry point into those kind of series and that kind of stuff. Uh, as someone who has not watched The Wire, uh, you know, it's on the list. Uh, so, yeah, this is coming to binge starting 26th of April. Next trailer is for Puss in Boots. The Last Wish, directed by Joel Crawford, starring Antonio Banderas, Salma Hayek, Florence Pugh, John Mulaney, Harvey Gillen, Divine Joy Randolph, Ray Winstone, and Olivia Colman. Two months after the event of the first film, Puss Boots discovers that his passion for adventure has taken its toll. He has burned through eight of his nine lives, leaving him with only one left. He sets out on an epic journey to find the mythical Last Wish and restore his nine lives. Dylan? How weird is it to see a Puss in Boots trailer and see something like from the world of Shrek? I'm like, when's the last time we had a Puss in Boots or a Shrek movie? You know? Like, it's such a weird universe. I looked it up before Puss in Boots in 2011, but fucking, I don't know when Shrek 3 came out. I don't know if that was before or after. I can't remember the, the timeline. Was Shrek movies? Was it four? Holy fuck. Um, <laughs> but you know, like, it was such a big property, and then watching the trailer, it's like from the world of Shrek or, or whatever. Like, does anyone care? Like, do any ki- do any kids know what Shrek is? is? Is Shrek a big enough property that, like, kid mums, dads, whoever is showing their kids Shrek? Like, yeah. here's a classic Shrek. Shrek Forever After. Oh, that's right. Twenty ten. Yeah. So I'd say I haven't watched Puss in Boots. I've seen all the Shrek movies. I never actually watched Puss in Boots though. Um, I thought it looks meh, and from all reviews, I'm pretty sure that that was the general consensus. Um, I give this trailer one up, one down. It looks to be. Looks like it's having a little bit more fun. Um, it's got Florence Pugh in it, so extra points there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty fun trailer. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, it still just looks like Puss in Boots, which it's a character and a sort like, whatever. That I'm like, yeah, like, it wasn't, like, standout in Shrek for me and definitely wasn't in love with that character enough to care to carry through the spin-offs. But, yeah, I'll go one up one there. Uh, I'm going to give it two thumbs up as a trailer. I think it's really well put together, like that fun action sequence at the start. Clearly, they've gone with a different animation style to any of the previous 
films of this franchise. Uh, and then you have the fun setup of the premise of the movie of, hey, you've you've died like eight times and like recapping each of those deaths. Kind of a messed up way to <laughs> a story for children, but you know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm all for it. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very very well put together. Of course, Antonio Banderas does very well as Puss in Boots. Uh, and yeah, it is crazy that it is a decade after the last film. Uh, I also have not seen the last film, so. But yeah, I'm keen for Puss in Boots and then to him face off with Goldilocks and the three bears who are some sort of crime family. It's going to be fun to see some of these twists for fairy tale characters uh, all these years later. So yeah, two thumbs up for me. This one is coming to the cinemas from 17th of September. 15th of September, sorry. Next trailer is for Trust No One, The Hunt for the Crypto King. Directed by Luke Sewell, a group of investors turn sleuths try to unlock the suspicious death of cryptocurrency millionaire Jerry Cotton and the missing $250 million they believe he stole from them. Dylan, you're a fan of these kind of crime documentaries. What do you think of this trailer? Double thumbs up. Um, fucking, I'm all aboard. Let's go. Come on. Netflix is just suckers me inconsistently with these these damn, especially these ones now where it's like a subgenre of like internet sleuthing. <laughs> <laughs> and some of those are bad like some of them i'm like nah this is like you're giving like sort of lens to people like eh, just leave that whole thing alone like there was that one i watched about the murder and the the building or whatever and it was just like wait i was like i was like nah this isn't it but then you like watch something like don't fuck with cats or whatever where it's like oh yeah like like use use these are some nasty ass people who don't, should get fucking hobbies but this may be entertaining <laughs> tv and he's got the guy i guess so like that's the important yeah. thing but um, or even, um, even that, uh, Tinder Swindler thing I watched recently has a little mm. bit of, uh, internet sleuthing involved in it as well. So it's like a whole subgenre now, but yeah, um, do you know anything about this at all? Very interesting setup. Put the Tim file hat and I'm ready to watch, you know, put it on. Let's go. Yeah. I was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised watching this trailer. Like, um, obviously we're very anti-cryptocurrency and nfts and bullshit like that uh so i was like oh is it going to be all about that but no it's like the full swindle people out of this uh and then the idea that potentially the guy faked his death uh makes it very intriguing and definitely worth definitely something i'm keen to watch uh and it's just you know edited together very well so two thumbs up from me very keen to check this out this is coming to netflix on the 30th of march so not long to wait. Next trailer, Seven Days, directed by Rossin City, starring Karan Sony, Geraldine Viswanathan, Mark Duplass, Z- Z- Zenobi Shroff, Aprana, Naxchirella, Gitty Reddy, and Jeffrey Self, set up on a prearranged date by their old-fashioned Indian parents. Ravi and Rita seemingly have nothing in common. The unthinkable happens... And the two of them are forced to shelter in place during the COVID-19 lockdown. Tell them, what'd you think of this one? Fuck, is the cast that big? There's like two people in there. It's probably the, those are the people on the phone or whatever. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Um, it's a Duplass Brothers production. So I was yep. automatically intrigued when the, the trailer started and I saw that sort of pop up. But um, yeah, I really like it. I think it's an interesting premise. Um, they usually produce romances that are sort of offbeat. Um, I don't mean like horror thrillers. They do produce horror thrillers, but they usually produce like sort of weird 
romance sort of stuff as yep. well, like the one I love and um, a couple of those movies. I think they mentioned in the trailer as well. Um, yeah, I'm very keen. I uh, like the cast. Um, seen them both play bit roles mostly, I guess, or like supporting acts. So, um, especially the main dude, who's whatever his name is, I can't remember. Who's obviously Deadpool's best mate. Um, yep. Uh, who's one of the co-writers or co-writer? Uh, yep. So that's cool. Uh, I'm keen. I'm d- down to watch this. I give a trailer one up, one down. I give it a trailer two thumbs up. I'm I'm all about this. I think it's a cool setup. Even though I don't understand why they need to shelter in place together, uh, I don't know if it, it, it wasn't like it was a bomb threat and they had no choice but to be together unless they're like in some remote place. Which that yeah, itself doesn't yeah, make I don't, sense. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like that, that's the one thing I had questions about too. But I'm like, I, I'll just wait. I'm sure it'll explain it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you know. I know we're. I'm not super keen on seeing like pandemic television and movies, but. Uh, I think this looks really cool, and like, I really like the cast. Geraldine Vispa Nathan's really great in everything she's. I've seen her in. Um, yeah, I'm really keen to Plus Brothers do look at cool, interesting stuff, and yeah, cool. I'm interested to see some offbeat uh, thing. Also, this just won the best uh, debut feature uh, Indie Spirit Award at the recent Indie Spirit Awards. So, oh, there you go. You know, some good pedigree. Uh, this unfortunately does not have a really state here in australia so fuckers i know so uh, just keep an eye out for this one sometime in the near future last trailer for this week is for apollo 10 and a half a spage h childhood directed by richard linklater starring glenn powell jack black zachary levi and josh wiggins apollo 8 Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood tells the story of the first moon landing in the summer of 1969 from two interwoven perspectives, the astronaut and the mission control view of the triumphant moment through the eyes of a kid growing up in Houston, Texas, who has intergalactic dreams of his own. Dylan, what do you think of this trailer? It was fucking awesome. Double thumbs up. Love the animation. I love the, the ridiculous setup that it's sort of like this story is too silly to do live action. So to sort of add that next element, let's do it as uh, animation, but everything's animated, sort of like that semi-realistic, like we can tell who the actors are. Yeah, 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 so you can tell who the actors are and everything like that, which is uh, really cool. I know the whole trailer just gave off a really, it's got sort of a nostalgic vibe for a time period, which Linklater loves to do in his movies, obviously. Um, So that sort of stands out as a director's trademark thing. And then, yeah, it's like a weird space mission. I love how they're like, you got to keep it a secret from your friends. You got to tell your parents. And you got this kid going on a space mission. The whole the whole setup's just dumb, but like, <laughs> um, I'm all aboard. Yeah, double thumbs up. I thought it was a really good trailer. And um, it's been a while since we've had a link later uh, release. So it's been like three, four years, I think. Yeah, Boyhood would have been his last, maybe? No, it was uh, uh, Where'd You oh, Go, the- Bernadette? Whatever, where where are you, Bernadette? Whatever, that one. Yeah. Where'd you go, Bernadette, starring? Cape Blanchett, yeah. It was the last one. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm all about it as well. Two thumbs up. I think, you know, that rotoco- rotoscope style, which is not done on a lot of things, it really works here. And it's like, obviously, you know, you can tell it's like really right in the Glenn Powell uh, telling this kid that they need him on this space mission because they built a Moonalangela lander that was too small. <laughs> Such so dumb. It is it's a also, dumb setup. It's also like, what else do you have going on? Like, not like your grades are good. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
bully these kids and so joining a space mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it is a weird premise, uh, but I'm all about it. It's like, yeah, really interesting and uh, could be really good. So, yeah. Keen for this one. This one is coming to Netflix as well on the 21st of July. So a little bit more of a wait for this one, but yeah. All right. That's all the trailers for this week. Let's wrap up this week's episode of What Do You Want to Watch with this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. Uh, now, Dylan, are you familiar with the Twitter account One Perfect Shot? I am. I follow it. Now, you sent this through, and my one thing was, like, how the fuck am I supposed to know which ones they haven't done? So I've just gone with stuff that I hope they haven't done or assume they haven't done. But if they have... Well, I did give you a link to the trailer for the new TV series uh, that they are doing. Did you? Yes. Uh, I didn't click on it. I thought it was just going to be to the Twitter account. So that is why. <laughs> that's I why. This is just random. <laughs> no, because they're doing a TV series in which they have directors on to talk about the one perfect shot uh, and how they did it. So like the premise based of this on actual is, Twitter, like are they tying an actual Twitter account? Like, I mean, they're just using it as a branding thing. More than anything no, else. That, I feel like that Twitter account should be, whoever runs it should be fucking suing someone. But this is a cool idea for a show. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure they're getting paid. I mean, they're I licensing so. the name yeah, from the so. film school rejects, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is the... There is uh, six movies that they're going to be doing episodes for. Crazy Rich Asians, Heat, Wonder Woman, Girls Trip... Harriet and the Trial of the Chicago Seven, so it's quite an electric group. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, premise of this week's top three is top three perfect shots we would like covered in the next season of Perfect Shot. That's all right. Shot. I feel like my list still it, it'll work. It's right. probably yeah. It's going to be pretty it's, obscure because uh, yeah. Nothing of picks on that list of episodes, so that's important. All right. Yeah. All right, Dylan. What's your number three? Number three, Nightmare Alley, the shot of the woman in white. I'm saying it like that because it's potentially a spoiler, but there's a shot at, towards the end of the movie, um, really fantastic uh, wide shot of a character wearing white, and she's got blood on her, and it's just um, in the snow at night. It's beautiful. Um, looks fantastic. So I would pick that. All right. Uh, my number three is from... One of Dylan's regularly referenced movies in this segment, La La Land. Ooh. Uh, the dance number for A Lovely Night, you know? The poster. The one with, yeah, the poster. Like, yeah. how do they put that together? I think, you know, uh, Demi Chazelle would be an interesting person to talk about how we put that sequence together. Uh, and, you know, going into how the, all the dance mu- mu- moves and, like, uh, you know, the shoot. And it's, like, all one, pretty much one shot and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I think that would be an interesting one to, for them to discuss. Dylan, what's your number two? Number two is The Lighthouse, a close-up shot of Willem Dafoe cackling uh, at the camera. <laughs> okay. Because I want to know what shrooms they were on. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Uh, my number two is... 500 Days in Summer, Expectations versus Reality. That whole sequence is one of my favorite things in cinema. Um, beautifully captures 
so many nights that you've wished have gone. You hope will go one way and do not go that way. Um, just, I think it'd be interesting to hear Mark Webb talk about how he, you know, directed them, how they pulled that together. Um, and then like the music choices and all sorts of different elements to that sequence. Uh, so yeah, that's my number two. Dylan, what is your number one? My number one is just about any moment from Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> um, so this that's pick actually worked out quite well for this now that I know what the yeah. actual <laughs> the point was. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously that movie is just made of, you can nearly pick anything. I mean, I, I don't think there's a scene in that movie that I probably couldn't find a freeze frame and you could turn it into a, a wallpaper or, you know, a poster on your wall sort of thing. Um, so many beautifully shot moments. If obviously you've got this, I feel like the standout ones is him, Ryan Gosling, like looking over at like the giant, um, hologram yeah. of Anna Dianus, the, yeah. um, the robot, like his AI companion, but like the different version or whatever. Um, yep. Or that, or like him walking off into the desert is sort of another one of the famous ones, like Las Vegas sort of mm. thing there. Um, or even just like, I'd love the, the the rain coming down at the end, like what that signifies for that movie and that moment. And, you know, there's so many. So, or even just the rooftop, the him dancing for the first time, like with her when they have um, What's the Fuck come in, the, um, and he like pays her to do the. Uh, like, like, yeah, the sync like up, sync up, sync up, sorry, yeah, yeah, that like, there's just so many moments. I don't know which one I personally would pick. I'd be happy with any of them though. So, yeah, absolutely, it's a good pick. Uh, my number one is from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse: The What Up Danger. You know, jump scene. I think you know having to hear the animators how they put that together because obviously seeing bits and pieces of how they had to kind of bend the world to make it look right. Uh, and just like the, the process of coming up with that shot, uh, getting the music, uh, animation, the costume, all that. I think it would be quite interesting. Uh, I will say I had two very close runners up. One was very recency biases, bias, but the sequence from the Batman where it's the muzzles muzzle shot, you know, muzzle gunfire, shot in the hallway how the hell they pulled that off i'd love to know how they did that uh and then my other pick was the final race the final lap of speed racer i think that would be cool to hear the wakowskis talk about that and how they pulled that all together especially with their crazy speed racer style so yeah let us know your top three perfect shots you would like to see covered on one perfect shot uh, by going to explosion.com slash Twitter or jump into our Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. If you want to help us out here at what you want to watch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchase or any, or leave us five stars anywhere that you can leave five stars. Or you can just tell people about the show. It's quite good. If you like this episode, dollars worth a dollar, head on over to our coffee page at explosion.com slash support. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess. <laughs>